I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I came across time for you. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and machines need love too. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of principal agent theory and machine learning. I just thought, you know, I <laughs> it's thought. Apropos, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Today we'll be talking about Terminator, or The Terminator. Mm -hmm. We are either early in the stages of hot sci-fi summer, or maybe in the middle of it. Depends on how long we go. Oh, no, I think uh, it's it early stages. I, I, I want hot <laughs> sci-fi summer to last a little bit. Yeah. So we know that up next is Big Trouble in Little China and Highlander. We have more that we might do. We can talk about big, this, yes. Big 80s movies that, mm -hmm. that we're thinking about doing. Oh, yeah. It's an active discussion on the Patreon. Dan, if you want to... Chime in. I was checking out the Patreon. I will I will have to weigh in a little more. I did appreciate their conversations about my call sign. That was great. Yeah, actually. I was going to say they came up with some good talk they signs did. for you. Yes, yes. If you have ideas about what we should do for Hot Sci-Fi Summer, or if you have better call signs mm -hmm. for us, me yeah. or Dan, you can always reach us via Twitter. I am at Anna Marie Cox. He is at Dan Dresner. Dan, how are you? You know what? I think the thing I'm going to say is I am not jet lagged, which knock on wood wow. is rather extraordinary because I spent about 24 hours yesterday trying to get from Yerevan, Armenia back here. And it was a pretty arduous trip, but it was a great experience to be out there. Um, and I was also very glad at one point I was connecting through Charles de Gaulle. I was so glad I did not try to enter France <laughs> because the passport line at Charles de Gaulle was 80 minutes long. It was horrifying. But, you know, I actually slept... Like, I think the longest I've slept in possibly years last night. And so I think good. I'm okay. I'm glad. Knock glad to hear that. How are you? I'm Anna? okay. Yeah. I have a Molly the murder kitten here. She has not outgrown <laughs> her murderous ways yet. Aww. She still likes to hide behind the knives on the kitchen counter. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen that picture? No, I have. I, I was. Did you post this in the last week? Or so? uh, no, it was actually it was a couple it. weeks ago. But yeah, she's found oh, okay. like a hiding space behind my butcher block. <laughs> <laughs> so she'll hide behind there, and you can just see like her ears and her eyes like peeking out behind the knives. That sounds like good cover art for the Knives Out sequel. I hope they can use there that. You go. So, and she's a source of constant, yeah. you know, frustration and or joy. She's mm -hmm. very, very cute. And, but she's, she can be super, super fucking annoying. <laughs> she, <laughs> so she's a cat is what yes, you're saying. Yes, and, and, and she's getting along with Exley really well. Exley, I now have decided it's kind of a form of hide and seek. I've also, I've realized now he's five years old. His energy level, is, he used to be wild himself and his energy level is definitely. Right, but he's actually like entering yeah. middle age, you know, so yeah. So yeah. he and I have about the same schedule about going to bed like 930 or so, mm -hmm. like settling in. But Molly Murder Kitten is not Molly into Murder that. Kitten, she wants so to she, stay up. He'll like be laying in bed and she'll like, her thing is she attacks him. She just like <laughs> does jazz hands kitten, you know, like, and then like falls <laughs> yes, yes. on him. And what he'll do is uh -huh. he'll kind of batter around a little bit and then he'll get up and change positions. And then she'll attack again. <laughs> and then he'll get up and change positions. He doesn't leave the bed. He'll leave the bed after like four times. But okay. But it eventually comes back, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's it's just okay, funny. Good, like, good. I'm like, why doesn't he leave the bed right away? Because this happens like every night. I guess he's a form of playing with her. Maybe, yes. You know, yes. he tolerates her. Also, maybe it's like, I just don't have the energy for this right now. Like, if she keeps it But they do it, sometimes, like, actually yeah. play. And he'll, he'll put oh, okay. his big terrier jaws, like, right around her belly. 
<laughs> and it's just she just keeps going like she doesn't care she's just like yes more yes so it's great that's like that's Fair making enough. my life better right now mm-hmm. there's a lot Excellent. of not great stuff in the world but i have a very adorable kitten an adorable dog and they are very entertaining these are good yes. things so dan let's get on with the show we're supposed to talk about the terminator yes. why are we talking about right. it anna it is once again hot sci-fi summer and if there is nothing that epitomizes hot sci-fi summer more. It's the 1980s, Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, and a James Cameron film. I mean, this this is about as hot sci-fi summer as you can get without tipping over into absurdity, because this is actually yes. a very good film. So I think the other hot sci-fi summer stuff we're going to be talking about is a little more pulpy and sort of bad good. This is a good, yeah, good film. This is a genuinely good the way movie. I would describe it. And it's also, I think, right up there with The Matrix as far as how much pop culture significance it has. I would say it's even more influential because in some ways, The Matrix borrows some of the stuff from this film. That's true. That's true. I mean, I guess what I I mean, you're right. It's just that The Matrix came up with this idea of like our reality not being real, you know? Right. Which is unique unique to The Matrix. And this came up with this idea of the machines rebelling against... Well, it didn't come up with this idea. Actually, neither of those things came up with those ideas. They should be very clear. No, but it was the best exemplification. I would say not even the best. It was just the way that it came into pop culture. Yeah, okay, You know, like, it's just like, this is just what... They both happen Mm -hmm. to be good movies. We like them both. Yeah. But, you know, Mm -hmm. this is not the first science fiction plot to have machines rise up against humans. The Matrix wasn't the first artificial reality. These are just the ways that those ideas have, like, become part of our culture. And like The Matrix, I would Mm -hmm. say that Terminator has become a part of the debate that it's commenting on, you know? Yes, that's correct. I I didn't send you a URL, I just put it in the script. But there is an organization, an Mm -hmm. NGO, that has testified at the UN called Stop Killer Robots. (laughs) Right. A lot of those campaigns will show the Terminator, the endoskeleton, because it's a great sort of example of a what looks like a fearsome killer yeah, robot even though they are not necessarily concerned with that kind of fearsome killer robot i think no they're concerned with something that, that are called autonomous yeah. weapons but like that's the thing that will will they get news coverage trigger people out of putting more. a yes. picture of the terminator up there. absolutely and it is yes. like a it yes. is like a, a shorthand for you I mean skynet i think most americans understand like what skynet is a shorthand for yeah absolutely all right, Chekhov's What's It? This is the thing that happens or is an object shown early on mm-hmm. that maybe seems a little odd that it's there. So you know yep. it's going to come back, probably. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Dan, what for you? What was that? It was Chekhov's Polaroid, yes. Anna, which is the Polaroid photo of Sarah Connor that, that Reese sort of keeps and obsesses about. And then we actually see it's taking uh, yeah. later on. What about you? Chekhov's doggy. <laughs> All German shepherds I, for some reason. It's sort of strange. Maybe that's the only breed that survived in the war. <laughs> I will say, like, when you think of, like, dogs that would, like, bond well in particular with the military, I guess German shepherds make sense. But, you know, it was interesting that it was all yeah. German shepherds. And I did wonder, did she kidnap that particular German shepherd from the Tiki Motel? Like, <laughs> I did wonder about that, too. Like, the dog is unexplained. But the, but I, I think the answer has to be no, because, like, the dog didn't go with no. them when they were escaping. So it's like, I doubt she went back to that hotel to collect the dog. So I, 
No, I think it's probably maybe I like I do think like it's Bannister the same doc said, because you really because do? You, you're oh, about really? to tell me how cheaply this movie was made. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes that's true. So I'm, that's true. I have a feeling it might be the exact same dog. Actor. Oh, it might be the exact the same dog. dog actor. Actor. I'm saying it right, but within the context of the plot, no, I don't. I just think it's mean the same that dog. I think so it's the enough. same dog actor. Oh yeah, no, no, totally. Stunt that makes dog. sense. That actually might explain why they were all German <laughs> indeed, Shepherds. Indeed. It was just the same yeah. dog. In fact, so for a twist here, mm-hmm. you're doing the story behind the story. Anything can happen during Hot Sci-Fi Summer. <laughs> That's how crazy Hot that Sci-Fi is. Summer can so, be. So, Dan, why don't you tell us about it? Okay. So, like all 1980s sci-fi classics, Anna, this one had its origins in Piranha 2, The Spawning. That was, for those of you who are not aware, James Cameron's directorial debut. Fired from that production, in fact, but nonetheless flew to Rome to try to contribute to the editing process. He wasn't being paid, however, and was credit-constrained, which meant basically he was eating poorly and got sick. So one night he had a high fever dream, meaning he literally had a fever, of a metal endoskeleton emerging from flames, dragging itself across the floor. He woke up and made a drawing that pretty much resembles what we see at the end of the film in terms of the Terminator's endoskeleton. Cameron was uh, pretty much living in his car when he wrote the screenplay. He initially wanted to set the film in the future, but for budgetary reasons used time travel to set it in the present. He sold the film to his producer Gail Ann Hurd for $1, with the proviso that Hurd would ensure that Cameron would direct. By the way, James Cameron, soon after this, married producer Gail Ann Hurd, then divorced from her, and during the 90s was actually married to Linda Hamilton. So this movie is really a love story in, in a variety <laughs> of ways. In terms of the casting, Deborah Winger was uh, rumored to be cast as Sarah, but she apparently changed her mind and turned it Would down. Would have been great. Would have been great, no, no, no doubt. And the other finalist beyond Linda Hamilton was Jennifer Jason Lee, Who was... 12 at the time? I mean, like... No, 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 no. Jennifer Jason Lee would have been age-appropriate. I mean, you know, think okay. about it. She was, she was a teenager in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, so by okay. the time All the right. movie would come along, she was in her 20s. It, was, it would have been right. t- totally fun. Okay. Also, bear in mind that Sarah Connor is supposedly 18 in the film. Like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because by the... the in Terminator well, then Deborah Winger would not have been such a great choice. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, also, no, like... Love, awesome. I think it, yeah, it, amazing actress, but... Right. I think retroactively the character was supposed to be 18 because in T2 they describe her age then as like whatever and and it was supposed to be 10 years after the events of the original Terminator. So, yeah. As for the Terminator, other actors who were considered and rejected, wait for it, one was Jurgen Prochnow, but also Mel Gibson and O.J. Simpson. My favorite part is Gibson turned it down. He just didn't think it was uh, worked for him. They also offered it to Sylvester Stallone apparently and he turned it down. They thought about O.J. Simpson pretty seriously, but in the end, Anna, they couldn't conceive of O.J. Simpson as a murderer, and so chose <laughs> not that. Yep, 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 yep. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. There's like 12 other people in Los Angeles. There we go, <laughs> yes. So one of the other producers of the film, Mike Metavoy, uh, convinced Cameron to meet with Arnold Schwarzenegger because Schwarzenegger was potentially interested for Reese, actually. But Cameron wanted that character to be normal-sized and was pretty ready to, like, pick a fight with Schwarzenegger. (laughs) But apparently they met for lunch and hit it off. And Schwarzenegger kept offering useful tips about what the Terminator should be like. And so Cameron offered him the title role. You should Uh, have a German accent, Austrian accent. I think that, again, like, the accent clearly works. He should tuck his pants into his boots. Yes. I mean, the accent... (laughs) I think the accent works in this film. Oh, totally. It's unexplained, but it's awesome. Like, I... 
imagine that's what the it totally <laughs> makes sense is like what a robot like. society would think a human being would sound like and in that sense schwarzenegger's perfect for it indeed or what a, a robot society that tattoos numbers on the inside of people's arms oh yeah 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 <laughs> yep. yeah oh yeah 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 apparently schwarzenegger's agent told him not to take the film not to take the part because uh he was going to be playing the villain and schwarzenegger didn't listen to him now, you might think Arnold didn't take the acting of this very seriously, but au contraire. First of all, he apparently worked with guns every day for a couple of months <laughs> to prep for the role and received compliments from it you know, on his use of guns from experts. On set also, he kept his distance from both Linda Hamilton and Michael Bain since in the movie he was trying to kill them and didn't want to establish you know, close method. friendships. Method. Yes, exactly. So I, I love the idea of Schwarzenegger as like even going a little bit method. Yeah. Also, interesting, he apparently thought that it was just going to be sort of a low-rent action film. He was happy to take it, obviously. But it was only when he saw about 20 minutes of footage after Cameron had edited it that he realized this was actually had the potential to be something big. So as you previously noted, on it, the film was shot on an incredibly low budget, $6.4 million, which I still am actually blown away by because, yes, the special effects, some of them have not aged well, but I think when the movie came out, they looked pretty good. This is a quality film in, in terms of how it looks. And for some scenes, Cameron couldn't even afford the permit and so shot them very quickly. Uh, another example of the low rent, the body bag used to zip up Reese at the very end of the film was actually an old suit bag of James Cameron's. He learned all of these budget-saving tricks because he apprenticed with Roger Corman, among others like Martin Scorsese and so forth. One last little uh, note, Harlan Ellison sued Cameron for plagiarism, uh, claiming the plot resembled some of his short stories as well as a few of his Outer Limits eps. Cameron settled because Orion wanted to settle and he couldn't afford the legal fees to fight it. And he yes. would have lost. That he point. would have lost because I think <laughs> the, the, so the film now says acknowledgement of the works of Harlan Ellison and Cameron, I think, told people at the time that he was, in, at least it was in part, inspired by the works of Harlan Ellison. Yeah, so he told like several people. He told a reporter like, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have done done well. So yeah. and it's great for Harlan Ellison. I think he does deserve it. Although, again, not the first person to come up with this. No, either. Cameron nor Harlan Ellison are the first people to think through this. No, so. but but like the, as a plot idea, I don't think yes. that. Thank thank God that's not copyrightable. Hopefully, yeah. otherwise people would have sued Shakespeare back in the day. <laughs> All right, Dan. Now we have to talk about the plot. Okay, it is. let's get to it. Let's start with Act One: The Naked and the Dead. It's 2029, and Los Angeles has seen better days. Like in 1984, when two naked dudes, one very buff, one very skinny, find themselves appearing one dark and windy night. Both of them steal or bully their way into acquiring clothes and guns. Both of them seem super intent on finding one Sarah Connor, a subpar waitress with great 1980s hair. How intent are they? They use the phone book, Anna. The phone book. One Should we the... pause and explain what that means? Yes, I was going to ask if you wanted to do that. Like, All right, so for, for you young people listening... Back in the day, when there were phone booths and, like, pay phones, when you could, like, just use a quarter to make a call, these phone booths also had phone books in which you could look up the name of anyone living in that particular city or jurisdiction. That's right. That's yeah. right. You might have seen a phone booth in the Colin Farrell film, Phone, phone Booth. booth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which was already outdated when the movie yeah. came out, I believe. <laughs> Anyhow, one of these dudes seems a touch more indestructible than the other one. 
The buff indestructible dude, let, let's call him the Terminator, kills the first two Sarah Connors listed in the phone book and then heads to the third's apartment. It then kills Sarah's roommate as well as the roommate's boyfriend. Sarah, out grabbing a pizza, sees a news story about the other dead Sarah Connors, understandably freaked out and convinced that the scrawny guy, let's call him Reese, uh, is following her. <laughs> she calls the police as well as her roommate, leaving a message heard by the Terminator. Dan, shall we talk about the outgoing message? Sure, go for it. I believe it says, well, it's a little tricked you thing, which is yes. very popular yeah. in the 80s to kind of do a fake out, right? Like, just sort of do... Hello. Yeah. And like you, so you'd think that. No, the you're talking to a there. machine. Ha ha. Yes. But don't be shy. Machines <laughs> need love too. I would say it's not, it's, it's not subtle, but it's also not everywhere. But Cameron kind of does this throughout the movie. right? It's not like, subtle, but it's also extremely <laughs> effective. I mean, that's the yes, way I would put it. Yes. Like, you know, yes. the, the psychiatrist, you know, constantly being harassed by the beeper and then all of the shots of machinery. No, this is not a subtle film. But it's a good film. <laughs> it's a film with Arnold Schwarzenegger on it. There's limits to the subtlety. There's constant pokes at yeah. this idea of machines and, and, and taking over. And yes. I yeah. would say he, he, he does pull back from any like super a machine intelligence of some kind. Right. You know, yeah. like he, he there's a restraint to keep it real. Yes. No, no, no. It's not like machines are 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 like going to take over our society. I mean, it's not like they're they're super intelligent or anything. But yes, there is clearly an idea of human beings constrained and being sort of yes. you know being in, beholden to machines. I think yes, that yes, would yes, be the yes, way to yes, put yes. it. Yes? yes, yes. Okay. So while waiting at the ultimate 1980s bar Tech Noir, the Terminator. Get it? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> the Terminator shows Funnel. up. And spots Sarah. He's about to kill her when the skinny dude Reese pulls out a sawed-off shotgun and shoots the buff dude multiple times. The Terminator, like the Energizer Bunny, keeps going and going for Sarah. Reese grabs her, hotwires a car, and drives crazily around the streets of Los Angeles to escape the Terminator. And I hadn't watched this film in a while. I don't know how long it had been for you. What did strike me this time was how grimy and industrial Cameron makes L.A. look. And it works for this film. There's no, there's no denying it. Have you been to downtown L.A.? Recently. I guess I'm going to say no. It's pretty okay. fucking grimy. Fair enough. It's a very grimy part of mm-hmm. town. I mean, it. I haven't been there in a few years, but I doubt in during the time of COVID it's gotten more vital. So, uh, I mean, it, actually, what it reminded me of was that it also, it's like that in heat as well. And so, yeah. yeah. No, it's a pretty grimy, downtown LA is pretty mm-hmm. grimy. I thought for sure you would ask me, but since you didn't. I, I actually forgot. I, I forgot to ask you. So Anna, I will ask you now. I find so, Arnold a bit overbuilt. <laughs> so Art naked Art naked buff Arnold, which is literally the first shot that you see of him, didn't work for you. No, uh, naked, not quite so buff Reese. Mm-hmm. Eh, you know, yeah. like he's he's got his charms. Yeah. I do like the beat of them having to find clothes. Yes, like it's it's a slight. It's not exactly comic, but it grounds the movie in a funny way, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they have to solve a problem. That a time traveler might have to solve. Exactly. You know, I love the interaction with the cut and paste 1980s punks, including Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton, great. I've forgotten that Bill Paxton was a punk. For like two seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also really like that the last, that the surviving punk realizes that what Arnold wants is clothes. Like, <laughs> and he survives as a result. You <laughs> he know, survives. Props to him. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, although I really doubt those clothes would fit. Arnold? That's true. You kind of need someone rough. Well, although, you know, we, you say that Arnold was overbuilt. What's actually interesting is, I believe it or not, I've met Schwarzenegger. He's, he can be more built. He is more built than other. I mean, 
in his bodybuilding days, right. this is skinny. This yes, is skinny compared yes, yes, to yes, bodybuilding yes. days. I think he, this is still too much for me personally. It probably Well, that I understand, yes. Uh, but also, he's not a tall man. He's shorter oh, than I yeah. am, actually. Well, overbuild is different than being big. That's true. Okay. Fair like, enough. I mean, I don't like the muscly, muscly, muscle, muscle, yes, muscle. Yes, yes. Got it. In part because we've talked about before, like how much of a, how much torture it would be to live with someone who had to maintain that physique. Right. Exactly. Yes. Like, <laughs> it would be. Yes. Can't can't they be, would be fun. Grumpy. Yeah, they're <laughs> going to be like weird. hungry all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes. You didn't mention the PTSD flashback mm-hmm. that Reese has, uh, where yeah. <laughs> he sees a front loader like an rapc like, or like a like a, a an automated tank or something yeah no 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 he oh. see what he sees is in the junkyard yeah he sees a backhoe oh right right yes 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 which has treads yes correct and, and it's the treads that him, trigger it yeah yeah it triggers a, a ptsd flashback to his timeline mm-hmm. where these treads of a armored vehicle of right. some kind i won't say tank because mm-hmm. who knows yeah. if it's a tank or not is crushing human skulls <laughs> There's like just piles and piles and piles of human yep. skulls, which didn't make me laugh. I don't think it made me laugh. I remember, let me just wait. I still remember the first time watching this film and seeing that scene and being kind of moved by it, actually, because like I don't think I'd seen that. Okay, before. it's just like how long would the pile of human skulls last if you're fighting an ongoing war? And also, fair how enough. do you get just skulls? <laughs> That's a fair point. How do you get a pile of just skulls if you're fighting like a war? Maybe this, maybe everything else had turned into dust, but like the skulls are the right. last bones to, to disappear. I'm and, all, all I'm telling you is that it was actually like as an, if you've never seen it before, I think it's in a very effective shot. And this is the last thing for this section, but I, yeah. I did write it down for this section, which is: Did you notice you had to the incredibly intrusive diagenic music? What does diagenic mean? I'm sorry. That's music that's playing in the scene We've oh yes yes before. yes music oh yeah, yeah. That actually plays in the scene of a movie or a play or oh sure i mean that's well first of all there's the roommate who's like listening to music constantly on the walkman uh, but also in and tech then, noir yeah yeah it, it's just like loud yeah. and like it's just it's not <laughs> it's supposed I, to make you uncomfortable i'm assuming that was the i guess it's yeah. weird it's just kind of i found it kind of yeah. odd no, I think it's supposed to be cool. I think it's supposed to be like... Oh, that's possible. Yeah, no, no, no. It could, it could be in the 80s that was thought to be, like, you know, intense. Yeah, that's what I think. But, okay. it, I, I mean, there's a lot that can take you out of this movie one <laughs> That's 30 years later, but this... 40. Oh, 40. 40. Yeah, we're close to 40 years in this. Yep. Oof. All right. Act two, Dan? All right, let's get to act two. Guy who doesn't know tech stuff tries to explain tech stuff. <laughs> While driving in a way that seems guaranteed to attract tons of unwanted attention, uh, Reese exposits to Sarah that both he and the Terminator are from the future. The Terminator, a cyborg enveloped by human flesh, was sent back to kill Sarah before she gives birth to her son, John, who will grow up to lead the human resistance against the machines determined to wipe out all of humanity. It's safe to say that Sarah does not entirely believe Reese's story. While Reese is explaining how the Terminator will never give up, guess who shows up? That's right. After another shootout with a T-800, Reese and Sarah are apprehended by the cops. A police psychologist diagnoses Reese as a nutjob. Just as Sarah is starting to think that her ordeal is over, the Terminator shows up at the police station. Rebuffed by the front desk, the Terminator comes back and is not going to take no for an answer, Anna. He shoots up... uh, In fact, he says he'll be back. Yes, exactly. He shoots up the police station, including the cops tending to Sarah. Reese frees himself, overpowers the cop guarding him, grabs Sarah, and they flee before the Terminator can kill her. Anna, a few things about that shootout at the police station, which is one of the iconic 1980s scenes, I think. 
First, it's striking to me how, in the moment, Schwarzenegger's most famous line was not actually delivered as an obvious catchphrase. Second, that sequence works less because of the action, which is fine, it's perfectly good, but it's how the actors, Lance Henriksen, Paul Warfield, Hamilton, Michael Bain, Arnold Schwarzenegger play it. I mean, what's interesting, it's the reaction shots that make that entire sequence. And also third, this is a little earlier in the film, these might be the most unhealthy cops in movie history. Like, there is a sequence where Paul Warfield is, like, smoking, drinks, like, old coffee, then, like, swallows a thing of pills. To swallow the pills, he, like, uses cold coffee with cigarette butts in it, and then is searching for another cigarette while he's holding a cigarette. It, it was just, like, I felt unwell watching that that scene. They don't eat donuts. Yeah. But that's th- I bet uh, yeah. they had some earlier. Yeah. That's my suspicion. Fair yeah, enough. no, yeah. they're 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 pretty unhealthy. Yeah. I had the same reaction to the catchphrase, and mm-hmm. it made me wonder if we just live in a different era of catchphrase, like this. In do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, now there's very like hasta la vista, baby. Was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I th- I believe my recollection is that's delivered. Like, it's in the it's in the movie posters, right? No, and right? let's put it this way: I, you can argue this film maybe uh, perhaps it invents it invents the catchphrase, and so in some ways it's not even aware of what it's doing in terms of the film. It, I don't know if it invents it, but like it is this, it is very weird. Midwife, like, it, it maybe perhaps is the better word. Like, it doesn't really like it doesn't really land in a particularly like spectacular way right um, but i think it makes it better because of that actually is my point yeah yeah i think all of the action sequences are good when they're not interrupted by any kind of special effects yeah Yeah. (laughs) or i should say i mean i guess any kind of shootout you're having some special effects of some kind but But like high attempted like create like high time sci-fi special effects i guess yeah 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 yeah. like the flashbacks are pretty iffy you know they're clearly using models they hold up a little less well now yeah yeah um there are several scenes of schwarzenegger that's that aren't him that are like an animatronic version of him and credit to schwarzenegger as an actor like you could tell when the robot was playing (laughs) it's easy to make a joke (laughs) about like oh yeah there was no difference there actually is a difference yes I did find the car chases to be genuinely yeah. exciting. Yeah. I was eating popcorn while I was watching, and during the last car chase, I did. I was doing the like eating popcorn yeah. thing. <laughs> I found myself doing that. Right. Like, oh, cool. Like, yeah. oh, what's going to happen yeah. next? And I, I guess I'll go back to the cops. I love, I love grizzled, cancer-ridden <laughs> cops. Oh no! And, pa- and Paul Warfield and Lance Henriksen are great. Like they're they're only on screen for are. maybe like. I wish I saw them for longer. That's that's my only that's my only complaint. I do want to say here, Mm -hmm. I think maybe Kyle could have taken a different emotional approach (laughs) with Sarah. (laughs) I mean, I know it works out. We know that it works out. But that his emotional intelligence is not great. Well, I think your point about PTSD (laughs) is actually valid because I think part of the what I think would explain because. He doesn't, you're right, he doesn't do a very good job. Like, he scares yeah. the shit out of Sarah. He's also, as I said, driving in such a way that if you're trying to be, like, not observed, you should drive better than Reese is driving. Because, like, he's, like, careening all over the place. Yeah. It, it, it was just waiting for cops to figure him out. But I actually think the idea that he had PTSD and therefore was perhaps not functioning on all cylinders is actually plausible in this scenario. Yeah. 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 I gave him the excuse. I, actually, I wasn't even, I mean, it's clearly he has PTSD, although when I was watching him, like, be quasi abusive to her as he explains the situation yeah. that's when i was kind of like i wish he'd taken a different time right here. like when he's like grabs her and he's like don't talk don't right. move yes like that's yes, yes. 
come on, come on, guy. On the other come hand, on. she does also, bite him at one point. But apparently, he's in love with her. So yeah, that was a little weird. Like you know, I I I just you think he'd be more gentle with her right away. I'm just assuming that he was like angry because like they've just barely escaped the Terminator, and yet she seems to want to get out of the car. And so we're forth. doing so, some yeah. work for him. This is this yeah. is a place I believe the movie is genuinely flawed. Like I will accept that. No, and it, in some ways. One of, one of the things that's worth bringing up is I'm not sure how well Reese's obsession with Sarah has aged, I guess Agree. would be the way to put it. Agree. Um, you know. Agree. Oh, so. I'm not sure how well it's done, period. Like, I, I feel yeah. like it's one of these things like James Cameron got an idea about it and decided to put that in the movie. Like, this idea that you would fall in love with a picture and then... Actually, fun fun fact, it was not Cameron's idea. It was the producer's. So when the producers at Orion got the screenplay, they thought it was really good. They only had two notes. One was pretty outlandish, and I I can't remember what it was exactly, but, but Cameron immediately rejected it. But the other was to flesh out a little bit more the relationship between Reese and Sarah. And actually, Cameron thought that was a good idea. And so I don't know if he added the photo because of that, but he did try to, uh, you know, uh, build on that relationship a little bit. See, I almost feel like it's more plausible to me that this is the first time he meets her and then they have like, you know, a very, they under traumatic circumstances right. have sex. Mm-hmm. Then he's in love with her. Well, he, first of all, he can't really be in love with her. Well, I know, but like. It's a photo. Like, you know, right, like you can I be know. obsessed, but like yes. in some ways that's one of yes. the problems because but in the I, 80s, the, that was the equivalent of being in love with someone. But, so, the yeah. problem, <laughs> but the problem for me isn't even like that you can't be in love with a photo. Mm-hmm. It's the way he behaves towards her in that first act. That's fair. Okay. No, no, no. I take like, your point. That's yeah. it. I mean, I would accept the whole being in love with a photo and everything if like when the first time he sees her, he has a moment of like, <gasps> yeah. You know, there yeah. she is. And that when he gets, if he, if he starts to stammer around her, right. or like whatever, right. like if there's like a sense of like. Well, especially given what we wind up learning about him, yeah. um, which I will yeah. get to right now. But like, yes. this way, I think you're right that in, in some ways, given how Bane plays it in the first couple, in the first interactions with Linda Hamilton, you're right. I think your version of the backstory would be better. All right, so let's move on to Act 3. Sarah and Reese do some cooking. Sarah and Reese get to know each other as Sarah tends to Kyle's wounds, and Kyle teaches Sarah how to make plastique. We see in flashback how the T-800s are starting to be a problem in 2029. We also learn that Reese is a virgin, but not for much longer. Kyle admits that he's been besotted with Sarah for quite some time. Sarah reciprocates his affections in the here and now, and they make the beast with two backs. Meanwhile, the Terminator has some interactions of his own performing surgery on himself and using algorithms to suss out the perfect rejoinders to unwanted queries. He also downloads Sarah's address book, including her mother's location. Sarah calls her mom, and the T-800, who is able to mimic her mom's voice, finds out where they are. Anna, I had forgotten about the crucial role that dogs played in this movie. Also, is it me, or is there a slight disjuncture between Reese's description of humans winning the war and all the flashbacks essentially showing the humans getting their ass kicked? The dogs always know, Dan. <laughs> the dogs always know. Yeah. So that is yeah. one thing we've learned from genre fiction. The dogs always know. I'm yeah. looking at one that knows right now. He looks a little <laughs> suspicious, to be to be honest. Like, I don't know what's going Exley. on. Exley knows I'm yeah. a human, right? Aww. I hope so. Yeah. Okay. I think maybe we're supposed to think that the flashbacks we're getting are before the war was won. Or turning, yeah. Okay, fair or enough. Or turning. Yeah. What I think maybe we shouldn't talk about but I'll just mm-hmm. mention, is mm-hmm. all the various ways you could use time travel to do a more a cleaner cut 
let's say, (laughs) 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 of keeping the machines from from rising up even or somehow preventing the war from happening. Right. Like you go back and kill baby Hitler. That's the easy. Yeah, you can't kill baby Hitler. You kill the person (laughs) who invents Skynet. Who knows? Like, I just feel like once it's you you cannot start there though right like you mm-hmm. have to and or why didn't why didn't the terminator go back and kill sarah's grandma like yeah i yeah. don't know like it seems also with the thing about time travel is you get lot so they destroy the time travel machine that's right. the yeah so they only get one bite at the apple and they decide to go for john connor's mom yes which is interesting given how many other bites at the apple this franchise has has managed to attempt yes yes but i did leave this way i one of the things i actually did like you know sci-fi exposition can sometimes get like a little too jargony or, or, or attempt to be faithful or so on and so forth. One of the things I did like was Reese basically just saying, I don't do tech stuff. This is one of yeah. the possible futures. And like, that was actually the perfect way that of dealing is, that with is this. Funny. Yeah, it was funny and it was good. It was like yeah. a nice way of being like, I don't look time travel. Conundrum, look, time travel exists. We did it. Don't, don't ask me anything more. Like it was, don't it was ask a, more questions. I'm just a shoulder. I'm just a jarhead. Yes, exactly. You know? I thought it was an elegant way to deal with it is what I'm saying. Um, yes. I do want to say a couple of things about that sex scene. Number one, yes. <laughs> when he says, I love you, mm-hmm. he looks so unhappy. Like, have you, <laughs> do you remember? Like, he's like, I love you. You know, like he like almost growls it. It's like a. It's Otto, weird. It's you will. It will not surprise you to learn that Reese literally smiles only once in this film, which is the postcoital <laughs> scene, actually. So yeah, yeah, he's he's kind of a growly okay. character. Speaking of coitus, yes, that's a very odd sex scene. I found like there's multiple hair pulling, <laughs> which I think is that the worst thing. thing. You know, always I'm... happens in movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so much in real life, and okay. then. There's a lot of shots of their hands doing not on each other. There's hands gripping the bed sheet. There's hand. There's like well, isn't that always like, all right? Now, isn't that usually a classic like a way of showing more, it, like yeah, you know? Oh, felt, there's like there's really like you know they're into it. Like know. that's I just yeah. felt it felt like a weirdly like trying to sanitize a little and like, not show too much. But yeah, that's indicate true. That it's hot. Yeah, like, I, let me put it this way. So part of this might be by the standards of 1980s sex scenes. This isn't that bad. Like, compare this to Top oh, no. Gun. Top Gun is <laughs> awful. It is a horrible, bad sex scene. This was like, okay, like a little more intense. Among and other maybe, things. And maybe in here, less is more. Maybe the yeah. showing the hands is actually like, rather than having to simulate hotness in a mm-hmm. way that's very awkward. You know what? When we get to Highlander, with the hands, when we get were. to Highlander, we're going to have to talk about this again because Highlander also has like an attempt to like do a hot sex scene. So we'll have to see, like, we'll compare and contrast then. Okay. All right. All right. Yes, let's move on to the last act. I love me a good Cameron ending. So the dogs at the hotel alert Reese and Sarah of the Terminator's arrival. They escape in a pickup truck while it chases them on a motorcycle. During the chase, Reese is badly wounded by gunfire while throwing pipe bombs at the Terminator. Sarah uses the truck to knock the T-800 off its motorcycle, but loses control of the truck, which flips over. The Terminator is pretty badly damaged, but hijacks a tank truck to attempt to run down Sarah. A barely conscious Reese slides one of the plastique bombs into the tanker's hose tube, causing an explosion that burns away the flesh, but not the digital spirit, of the Terminator's (laughs) endoskeleton. Not the stop action skeleton. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The Terminator pursues them into an automated factory where Reese activates the assembly line to confuse it. He places the final plastique bomb into the T-800's midsection, blowing it apart. The price, Reese dies and Sarah is wounded. 
The T-800's upper half keeps pursuing Sarah, but she breaks free and lures it into a hydraulic press, crushing and then finally destroying it. Months later, we see Sarah, now visibly pregnant with John, in Mexico, recording audio tapes to pass on to him. At a gas station, a boy takes an instant photograph of her and she buys it. It is this same photograph that John will one day give to Reese. Because a storm is coming, Anna. So, Anna, it's not subtle, but Cameron's juxtaposition of the Terminator with large-scale machines is nonetheless effective, yes? I don't know, Dan, but it's... What? <laughs> uh, I think the last scene actually holds up pretty well. That last um, yeah. chase through the... Is, uh, is like, you know, janky as kind of the Terminator, the special effects are. I, I think once it, it moves from, like, the stop action to what is actually, I think, a robot or whatever yeah. thing they were doing moving, it works really well. Yes, I agree. The one thing I want to say about the chase scene, though, which I do yeah. think mostly works, is yeah. that plastique seems really ineffective. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be some future like, explosive. What the it, hell, man? It's just like smoke. Like, yeah. he throws, like, six of them. Like, literally, I guess four, because there's two left. Yeah. But he throws four, and, like, they're just, they just, nothing happened. It's just smoke. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know if he did such a good job making that plastic. I guess Fair that's enough. what I'm trying to say. Yes. All right. Fair. Well, Dan. Yes, Anna. Is there IR? in this movie? Anna, come with me if you want to learn about the IR in this film, which is admittedly small, but crucially important to the plot. And also, weirdly, as you pointed out before, this film has actually made a contribution to IR, unintentionally. So first, the entire movie is premised on the notion that victory is achievable through preventative strikes and decapitation. So the machines launch a first strike in terms of using nuclear weapons to try to destroy a lot of humanity, and then they try to assassinate Sarah to eliminate John Connor from existing. The premise being that if you eliminate John Connor, no other leader will emerge to do the things that John Connor does. Are these strategies generally effective? Well, preventative war tends not to work terribly well, except it leads to a lose-lose outcome, and God knows that is certainly the case uh, in this instance. As for decapitation strikes, they do tend to work when you're trying to destroy a terrorist cell or a terrorist organization. The most prominent being uh, when Turkey killed the leader of the PKK, the Kurdish Workers' Party, that actually did break up the PKK's, or effectively demolished the PKK's ability to launch uh, terrorism within Turkey. It really kind of depends on whether you think John Connor and the sort of human movement as was genuinely just a, as small as a terrorist cell, or was it something more than that? I have to say that I tend to doubt that if they'd killed John Connor, there would be no other leader. So I'm not sure I buy this. You know what's funny is I, I, poker of holes in movies, had never really thought about that particular plot point. Yeah. Especially since it seems like if you want to keep John Connor from leading the resistance, Mm -hmm. it might actually have been better to kill him like five years before he became leader. Right, or like when he's a small, or T2, in which, you know, you try to kill him when he's, you know. Right, but I mean, like, the closer you kill him to leadership, the less likely another leader An alternative leader emerges. That's, yeah, that's that's possible. Like, because if you kill him before he's born, then... Someone else might authentically... It seems even more likely that someone else is going to fill those shoes, right? The one other way in which this film has some IR in it is, as Anna said before... Really, the, the very the meme of killer robots in some ways comes from this film. So anytime, you know, there is an active campaign to try to, to limit or regulate autonomous weapons. It is often referred, or I think one of them is called the campaign to stop killer robots. 
generally people who want to restrict autonomous weapons don't actually call them autonomous weapons. They call them killer robots. And the reason you call them killer robots is that when you say that, people think of the Terminator. They don't think of cool Schwarzenegger. They think of the metal endoskeleton, which looks very menacing. Because remember, Cameron conceived it during a fever dream. So it is interesting in that it's an example of the use of sci-fi or a sci-fi trope to cause people to think, oh, no, 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 I don't want the Terminator. We don't want that. So we should restrict all these autonomous weapons. Genius marketing, basically. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, Anna, I have a question for you. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan, the future is not set. But I am not optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) The critique of capitalism in this film is kind of a part of a whole subset of critiques of capitalism which have to do with like robots taking over the world fears of our excess leisure time like coming back to haunt us in a way Mm -hmm. right like automation being turning out to be replace us really not just replace us in work but Mm -hmm. replace us totally yeah i will mention that i wrote my undergrad thesis on how advertising in the 1930s Uh attempted to assuage consumer anxieties about Mm -hmm. automated machines So I actually could go on about this for a little bit, but I will not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sure, you know, subscribers in the Discord will will push you for more details. It's been a while. I did win a prize, though. Oh. It was pretty good. At the U of C, no less. That's pretty impressive, Anna. Yeah. Wow. The undergraduate thesis prize. Wow. So this idea that machines may, that we build to serve us, may rise up to overtake us Mm -hmm. is very, very old. The Sorcerer's Apprentice was written in 1797. That's sometimes cited as one of the first examples of the genre. Mm -hmm. Here in the balmy days of late capitalism, (laughs) I think that anxiety is less about just the things we serve coming to to overtake us Mm -hmm. than the anxiety in a culture that's built around consumption. We are consuming the products of machines. Mm. We have become, you know, a part of the machine right. of capitalism. I do think it's interesting to note that in sort of, I think, more recent fiction, mm-hmm. the villains of these machine takeovers are AI yeah. more than like a machine machine, right. you know? Yes. And the concern isn't necessarily like a violent overthrow than a more subtle like subjugation or enslavement. like via- And that is a way in which the Matrix is different from the Terminator, yes. for example. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. I think there is some irony here. Cameron does some pretty like kind of generic, good liberal, anti-capitalist stuff in his movies, um, like in Avatar, which is, you know, superficially anti-imperialist, I guess. Yes. You realize we're going to have to do Avatar before December. Shit. I know. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the movie, but I like Sam Worthington. So so there we go. Who also appears later in a Terminator film. That's right. (laughs) But what's funny about Cameron doing like in Avatar and also Aliens, like Mm -hmm. having these kind of broad brush criticisms of consumerism and capitalism is that he's a pioneer in product placement. Hmm. I don't know if you noticed. (laughs) Did you notice? You did not notice? In this film? Nike. Oh, that's Uh, true. Oh, when he does put the Nike sneakers on. I did notice that. That's true. Gargoyle sunglasses. Yes. Which like he prominently. Right. Except I didn't even and, know that was a brand, which tells me and you know, shows Sprite, cool I believe, are the three big ones there. Okay, fair enough. So, some irony there. I also will say that I think it is an interesting point to be made 
and mm-hmm. it has been made recently by Elon Musk, of all people, <laughs> that the most plausible AI apocalypse isn't that we build them and then they become smarter than us and enslave us. Mm-hmm. It's that we build a genius AI and it does exactly what we tell it to do, but there mm-hmm. are unintended consequences. Oh, yeah. No, the, I, I will agree with Elon Musk there. He's absolutely correct. The unintentional uh, effects of AIs are far more likely than the AI becoming sentient and deciding who must destroy humanity. That's absolutely yeah. Yes. Someone, the example that I read is someone building a self-driving car might instruct it to never go through a red light, but the machine then hacks into the traffic control system so that all the lights are green, right? <laughs> Which would cause problems. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's really interesting. I haven't actually seen a piece of fiction that deals with that particular twist. So maybe in the Discord, if mm, someone has that's an a interesting question. example of that. Hmm. Okay. Hear about it. Wait. Oh, oh no, oh it's God, 100 killers. It's the HKs, Anna. Flames, flames, flames. Something's crawling. Uh, flames. Yeah. <laughs> it's the debris field. This is where we talk about other stuff that we did not get to talk about earlier. Again, I'm always kind of surprised when we have stuff here because we talk about so much. But we always do. Yes. So, Dan, what do you have? So a couple of things. Uh, first of all, as you noted, there are a lot of Cameron regulars in this film. Beyond Schwarzenegger, Bill Paxton gets a cameo. Uh, Lance Henriksen is in the film. Michael Bain, you know, who also appears in, in Aliens. So a lot of Aliens alums wind up showing up initially in this film. And then I think Jeanette Goldstein, who played Vasquez, is in T2 um, as well. This is a small thing, but it, it might be because of how they shot it. But like Schwarzenegger looks very different you know, after, like, the first attempt to kill Sarah than he does in the first, like, couple scenes in the film. Do you know what you might be noticing? What I might be noticing? His missing eyebrows. Yes. Also, his hair suddenly gets shorter. Well, like, because it, it, the, the same reason the eyebrows disappear is, at least in the Wikipedia entry, like, I because yeah. I was like, wait a minute, his eyebrows are gone. Right. He was singed. Fair enough. That might be. In the but fire, like it, when he walked through fire. I think it was a little distracting. But speaking of hair, I did love... There's this, at the very early in the film, you see Sarah and her roommate, like, getting ready to go out. And, like, you know, uh, I think Sarah's roommate must have been out of the shower. And then, like, you see the two of them, like, finally ready. And, like, Sarah's roommate's hair is, like, so big 80s hair that it's it's honestly impressive. And also, Linda Hamilton's hair might be peak 80s hair. Yeah. Because it actually holds great. up. It still looks pretty great. But, like, it's nonetheless genuinely decade, you know, uh, consistent. Yeah. What happened to Pugsley? I was a little worried. Chekhov's iguana does not go off. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I was expecting, like, you know, we, we see the, you know, the Terminator tears the apartment apart. I hope Pugsley is, is found a home. And finally, I'm going to say that the movie was clearly written as though no sequels would occur. Because as, as you know, as Reese says, only two of them go through and then they destroy the machine. And while T2 is actually, in some ways, an even better film, one could argue, than, than the original Terminator, and Dark Fate, the most recent one, has its moments, I think the rest of the franchise justifies going back in time and ensuring that just the original came out. I'm just going yes. to stake my claim. <laughs> I also like, I think T2, I think I'll allow T2. T2 is but. very good, but like, you know, like after that, yeah. like really, maybe, all right, so maybe we would have gone back in 92 and just killed right. James Cameron or warned James Cameron what was going to happen. All right, Anna, what about you? Well, just to, to get back to the singed eyebrows, I think that's a very funny place to make your stand continuity-wise, you know? <laughs> like, we, that robot had his eyebrows singed off, so we are going to shave Arnold's okay. eyebrows, and we're not going to show them the rest of the film. There we go. <laughs> Fair enough. Yep. 
that I it has to be cons- I just imagine Cameron like demanding like no you you see his eyebrows no eyebrows in this scene yep so there we go makes, makes me laugh there is a scene in the dystopian future where someone is watching a fire in a burned out TV, <laughs> yes. which I did laugh yeah. at that. Uh, trivia, uh, Arnold speaks a total of 73 words in this movie. So someone can calculate the uh, how much he got paid per word there. I have a question, genuine question. So the place where he repairs himself? Yeah. What the fuck? What? what? Oh, I assume that was a hotel room. Like Right, but know. there's a scalpel like right there. Well, I assume he had bought that, like he had bought the guns, basically, you know. Okay, I guess, like, the way that I was watching the scene, it just seems like he sits down at a table and there's, like, a scalpel and, like, returns. Right, well, like, we do see him early on, like, getting all the guns he wanted. I simply assumed he had gone to another place, right. like, to I guess there was a part stuff. of me that's like, what did, where is, what kind of place is this? Yeah. And then, I guess I found the being blown up by a pipe bomb and only have, and blowing into two pieces to be unlikely. But... <laughs> yes. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to dispute that. <laughs> but it is a good scene, so we'll just we'll, we, we will allow it. In fact, we'll allow the whole movie. The, the movie is a good movie. People should if you if I somehow you've gotten to the end of this podcast and you have not seen this movie, my God, see this movie. Oh yeah, no, definitely watch this film. It is. I mean, it uh, it, it makes. Again, as you say, like it's a lot of the grammar of sci-fi for the next forty years is laid down in, in this film, among other things. So yeah, it's it's worth seeing for that reason. And again, I it is amazing how little money was spent on this film, and nonetheless yeah. how good it is. I mean, like you know, yeah. I would also say that I think we can recommend without reservation the next two movies that we're going to do: Highlander and Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. So, Dan, I don't think we mentioned this in our podcast about Thor, Love mm-hmm. and Thunder, but I sent you a picture, which people have pointed out, that Thor in Thor, Love and Thunder is wearing the same outfit as Kurt Russell in, in... Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, cool. Oh, that is cool. He's wearing, he's wearing like the red vest and yeah, like yeah, the white yeah, yeah. shirt. Yeah. So yeah. the movie, we, I, f- I feel like some people, I don't know why I feel defensive about how we let off <laughs> at Sci-Fi Summer with Thor, but it is very, it is like intentionally referencing all this. Oh, yeah. Stuff. We should, uh, I mean, you know, any superhero movie that references both Big Trouble in Little China and Cocktail deserves to kick off Hot Sci-Fi I think Summer. So too. I think. Yes. I hope people are enjoying it. Again, we were taking recommendations um, mm-hmm. for how to continue the fun that is Hot Sci-Fi Summer. I am excited about what we have in store, and I think we've actually picked out some stuff that maybe we need to confirm and schedule. We will do so, yes. But we don't need yes. to do so as our listeners are listening to this. Yeah, that would be just <laughs> weird. Yeah. <laughs> but until we get that stuff scheduled, Dan. Keep this channel open for more.